Well, I'm going to run away. Those were the words I said to my mom when I was about six years old, living in Buffalo, Wyoming at the time. I don't know what led to that decision, but I had decided her parenting was not good for me. I was going to leave. I, I was not pre prepared, though, for her response, because when I told my mom I'm running away, do you know what she said to me? How can I help? Right? So apparently, not only was I done with her parenting, but she was done parenting me. Some of you moms in the room know how that, how that feels. And it got real, real quick. Because not only did she ask, how can I help, but she prepared a bag of clothes for me. She got me a sack lunch ready with a bologna sandwich, some chips. She opened up the fridge and said, take your pick of a beverage for the road, young man. And so, you know, this is not going how I played out in my mind. I was thinking by saying that, my mom would beg me to stay, would tell me how awesome of a son that I am, uh, but that's not what she says. And so I looked at the fridge and I picked out the first thing that looked like a delicious beverage for the road. It happened to be a bottle of lemon juice. <laughs> not lemonade, lemon juice. She handed me my sack lunch, my bottle of lemon juice. She threw a bag of clothes over my shoulder and said, I think you got everything you need. Let's go. We walked towards the door. My twin brother watched in delight as his idiot brother was trying to run away. I thought, surely at any moment, my mom will drop this charade or at least call out my bluff and this can all be over, but she didn't. We walked to the porch and she sent me on my way. So I'm walking down the sidewalk of our house towards the street, thinking in my mind, you know, at any moment I'll turn around and my mom will be there ready to take me back inside. So I, I turned around and she was already inside. She had left me on my own. I was, I was going to run away. And so I start walking down the street. I got, you know, partway down the street, turn around and look back. Still no sign of my mom. The only sign there was, was my twin brother on the porch doing this. Like, it was fantastic for him what was happening. I got to the very end of the street, and I knew a decision had to be made. Uh, much to my brother's chagrin, I made the decision my mom knew I would make. It was a calculated risk on her part. I uh, stubbornly and sheepishly went back to our house, walked inside, put my bologna sandwich and my lemon juice away, put my clothes away, and I don't think I ever threatened to run away again. Now, as a kid, I couldn't understand why my mom didn't believe me that I would actually run away. Like, why wasn't she convinced that this is actually, that what I said is actually what I would do? I think my mom understood about me what we need to understand about our faith. It's our big idea for today as well. It's on the screens, and it's this. A convincing faith is not found in what I say. A convincing faith is found in what I show. Faith's more than words. A convincing faith is not just what I say. Uh, to, to, be, to have a convincing faith to those around me, it's, it's found in what I actually show. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor. And for everyone who's with us today, whether it's live or on video somewhere, so glad that all of you are here. As we are closing out a sermon series we've been in called Fences, Living Beyond the Boundaries. If you've missed any one of the services, you can always get caught up on our website, elementchurch.life. You can also download our podcast and listen to our messages there as well. Last week, we talked about what it looks like to live 
outside the fences with our spiritual gifts, our talents, abilities, and our availability. We've talked about what it looks like to live beyond the fences with our prayers and our time. In the very first week of the series, uh, we, we really looked at what, what does it look like to, to collectively, as the church, as God's people, live outside the fences, even tear down some fences so that we can live a significant life together as the church. And one of the fences that we believe God is calling us to, to tear down as we seek to expand our reach uh, into our community is by adding a fourth worship experience to our schedule. So today is the last Sunday for me to remind you that next Sunday everything changes for us as a church. We are not only adding a fourth worship experience, but with that we're launching a new sermon series next week that I'm thrilled about called My Declaration, A Challenge for Men to Rise Up. The service times are there on the screen. Please don't forget, they're different next week, 8.30, 10, 11.30, and then our regular 6 p.m. service as well. This whole series is kind of built around a book that I was able to write this last year. We'll be releasing it during the series. It is targeted towards men, especially the book, but in the sermon series, uh, we're all, regardless of gender, we're going to look at some principles that relate to all of us that I think will challenge and inspire us to rise up and live out the character our world desperately needs right now through the God-given purpose and power that he's already given to us. I believe when all of us were born, God started something within us. For some of us, that might lie dormant and ready to rise, and so my prayer is through this series that all of us will rise up and finish what was started in us. I'm super excited about this season of ministry that we're in, the addition of a fourth worship experience, the new sermon series, and of course, the book. I believe in its message. I'm praying that it will uh, impact our lives through the series and through the book. There's some invite cards on your chairs when you came in, so I encourage you to take that with you. And my challenge is this for all of us, what if each each one of us invited one person this week to come to church. Each one invite one, and we'll see what happens uh, in that. Be watching for social media invites as well. Uh, they will be on Facebook and Instagram later this week, and you can share those and invite people to come to church. I'll also let you know, shameless plug, that next Sunday is the last day to pre-order the book. They will be available, Lord willing, uh, on October 23rd when the book releases, but you can pre-order a copy now. If you, you pre-order it, you get a an amazing song for free that Pastor Jared, our worship pastor, wrote. There's some other free stuff as well. If you want to do that, you can go to my website, jeffmanis.com, click the store button. You can pre-order a book uh, right now, and that would be fantastic. Literally, right now, you should go there and buy one. So, here we go. <laughs> a convincing faith is not found in what I say, it's found in what I show. I know, I know, that not everyone who will be here at Element Church today or is listening online considers themselves a person of faith in God. And I, I get that. And so if that's you, if you're here and you don't believe in God, thank you so much for being here. I totally understand uh, the, the, the courage it takes for you to come to church when you know you don't believe what they believe. And so kudos to you for being here. I don't know your reason for not believing, but I do know this. For lots of people, the reason they don't believe is because of others in their life who say they believe, but don't show it by the way they live. It's one of the main reasons people don't believe in God. And I get it. Like, that is frustrating. It can be confusing. Sometimes it makes me downright angry 
when I see people who have all the words of faith, but don't have any works of faith. Drives me crazy. And even in now using the word works, there's some Christians in the room who are starting to fidget, right? You're thinking, are you saying that we are saved by works? Is that what you're saying? And no, that is not what I'm saying. Absolutely not. In fact, in Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he couldn't say it any more clearly. God, through the Apostle Paul, says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. So by faith in the grace of Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So I do not believe in a works-based salvation. I do, however, firmly believe in salvation-based works. You know the difference? Okay. That we don't work to be saved, but because I am saved by grace through that salvation and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that salvation should produce good works in and through me. In fact, the very next verse in Ephesians says that. You can't read verses 8 and 9 without verse 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do. Everyone say do. Do. So we can do. There it is. The good things, good works that God planned for us long ago. So faith is not only what starts my salvation, but faith is also what helps me show it. That when I profess faith in Christ, that's a big deal to profess faith in Christ, but that's just the beginning of my walk with him. It doesn't end there. Now I start to show my faith by what I do. For example, did you know, this is exciting, that last Sunday we saw five people profess faith in Christ for their salvation. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's awesome. Never, ever, ever gets old to see people put their faith in Christ, to start their walk with him, and we should celebrate that. Which, by the way, those five people, this is interesting to note, put their faith in Christ on a Sunday where we pre-recorded the sermon and showed it on video in every single service. It's a great reminder, by the way, that as we add this fourth worship experience, at least one of the four services every Sunday will typically be a video sermon from recorded earlier in the day. And I just think it was so encouraging to me to, to be reminded reminded of the fact that even though I wasn't physically in the room last week, the Holy Spirit was. And he moved on five individual hearts to put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. That's, that's a, that was kind of a side note. My, my point with, with that is this. Those five people, and all of us who believe, their response in faith for salvation does not abdicate them of their responsibility to now follow in faith. That was the start of their faith, but now needs to continue. That's for all of us. So a convincing faith is not found in what I say. It's actually found in what I, what I show. So if, if that's true, and it is, it's scriptural, the big question has to be this today, what kind of faith do I need to show? What should my faith look like? How do, I, 
How do I show it? What kind of faith do I need to show? Main scripture, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. It's kind of at the tail end of the New Testament portion of the Bible. So if you've got your Bible with you, turn there. If not, it'll be on the screens. And if you don't own a Bible, say it every week. We'll give you one for free. Please don't leave without one. We want you to have a Bible in your own hands. A little tiny bit of background here. Uh, this letter, Peter, was written by a guy named Peter. Shocker, I know. Peter was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, which is important because that, that means he was an eyewitness to the life, ministry, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now he's writing this letter to a group of Christians in his day, but ultimately to us as well, telling them not just to say they had faith, but to show it. In fact, these Christians he was writing to, they were facing persecution and suffering. And Peter was reminding them that regardless of your circumstance, it's your obligation to show your faith. So Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 starts out by saying this, but you are not like that. Just so you know, we don't have time to go back, but he's referencing the previous verses that we don't have time to read. At the very end, the very previous verse, he said, there's some people who don't believe in God, therefore they don't follow his word. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people by faith. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result of that faith, you can, what's the word? Show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, other versions of the Bible say as aliens in this world. This is not our home. We have an eternal home. As temporary residents to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Isn't that good? So a convincing faith, not found in what I say, it's found in what I, I show. And the first thing I got to show in my faith, number one, is this. I need to show a protected faith. I need to show a protected faith. And this presents a problem. <laughs> this is actually one of the reasons why I think we find so many Christians hiding behind the fence hiding behind the boundaries or the walls because we do need to be protected in our, in our faith. Peter said it. I warn you, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your, your soul. So because of that, what do we often do? Well, as Christians, we often run away from the world and we hide behind the fences, the boundaries, the walls that we have created in the hopes that we won't be infected by the sinful world. In fact, I started off the whole series in week number one saying this, have we as Christians, have we as the church actually become so afraid of being infected by the world that we've stopped affecting the world? Remember that? But, that, that's true by the way, that's a problem. But, okay, this is where it creates a, 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 an issue in our faith. Just as ineffective as a hidden faith is, and by the way, hidden faith is ineffective. 
just as ineffective as a hidden faith is behind a fence, just guarding myself from ever entering the world, so is a faith ineffective that is not presenting or pursuing the holiness of Christ. It's ineffective. An unprotected faith in the world is an ineffective faith. A protected faith will guard itself, like Peter warns, setting up boundaries and standards for my heart, soul, mind, and body, not to take me out of the world, but to help me keep away from worldly desires while I am in it. It's protected. And by the way, this is not about legalism. This is about lordship. And we need to understand the difference, church. Legalism says, I have to earn God's love. And I earn God's love by doing or avoiding certain things. Lordship says, because I've already received God's love, I want to be as close to his holiness as I possibly can. The first is driven by fear, legalism. The second is driven by faith, lordship. We need lordship in our faith. Sometimes, sometimes, I feel like we as Christians today, especially in America, are trying to be as much like the world as we possibly can while still being in the Lord instead of being as much like the Lord as we possibly can while still being in the world. That's good preaching, by the way. When we as Christians begin to partake ourselves in the same exact things the world does, instead of protecting ourselves from those worldly desires, why would the world think they need what we have? Where's the difference? Where is the change in our lives? Like, how is that convincing to anyone that our faith matters if we pretty much live the same way? Peter said, you're not like that. You are temporary residents. Your time is limited. Talked about that. So I warn you, keep away from those worldly desires that wage war against your soul. A convincing faith not found in what I say. It's found in what I show. So what kind of faith should I, should I show? I need a protected faith. Church, I'm praying that our faith is protected. It's protected. Peter goes on to say this in the first part of verse 12. He says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Is that not awesome? Like that is outside the fence living personified right there. Live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, which by the way, your neighbor is not just the person that lives next to you, it's anyone you come in contact with every single day of your life. So the second thing I gotta show in my faith is this, I need to show a public faith. A protected faith, but also a public faith. Peter said, be careful to live properly among, in the midst of, those who don't believe. It's public. Jesus, by the way, said something very similar that maybe Peter was reminded of as he was writing this, this letter. It's found in Matthew, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus is recorded saying this, You are the light of the world. 
He's talking to those of us who believe, by the way. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to what? To see. To see. It's a public faith. Sounds a lot like what Peter was talking about. So here's the thing. This is huge, by the way. Becoming a Christian might happen in private, but being a Christian is meant to be public. Becoming a Christian could be a private decision. Nobody else may even know you made it. But being a Christian becomes public when I start living out that protected faith. This, by the way, is where we've coined the phrase, and it's rooted in Scripture. I alluded to it earlier, but we've kind of coined the phrase that we as Christians should be in the world, but not of the world. And that's a good phrase. It's good. I think it's missing something. I don't, I don't think it's fully correct. Because when, when we say that we should be in the world, but not of the world, it almost sounds like to me, and I know it's not true in every case, but it almost sounds like to me that we're kind of lowering the bar a little bit, and we're saying, well, I sure wish I wasn't in this nasty world, but if I have to be, I guess I'll make the most of it. That's not what it means. It's not that as Christians we are stuck in the world, so we should just make the best of it for Jesus. No, it's the fact that Jesus sent us into the world, and the world should be better for it. That we are, we are sent into the world, therefore we will not be of it. That's what we should say. It's got a, got a, a language of advancing to it. Jesus actually prayed this, didn't he? John 17, we used John 17 a few weeks ago for our main scripture. Jesus, on the very night he was arrested and eventually killed, prayed to his father for everyone who would ever believe in him. These words are a portion of it, verses 15 through 18. I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe, protected from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And then he says this, Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. So, yes, we might need to protect ourselves from worldly desires. We might need to protect ourselves from that. But our faith is meant to be lived out in public. That the, the, the world is not something we need to avoid to remain holy. The world is something we need to advance into with the holiness of Christ. Not to point out where everyone else is wrong. That's not the goal. The goal is to point people to the only one who is right. And the only one who can make us right. David Mathis from Desiring God Ministries said this, We've been rescued from the darkness and given the light, not merely to flee the darkness, but to guide our steps as we go back in to rescue others. Isn't that awesome? Man, come on. Like, we don't have the light of Christ to run behind a fence and hide. We have the light, and yes, we've been rescued from darkness to advance back in with that very same light. It leads right into the last thing I want us to see here. 
Convincing faith is not found in what I say, it's found in what I show. So I need to show a protected faith. I need to show a public faith. And then the last part of verse 12, Peter says this, then, and I added the parentheses to to make sense, then, literally, after living properly among your unbelieving neighbors, then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Jesus, again, said almost the exact same thing. I think Peter was drawing off the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, 16, read the first part earlier. Here's the whole sentence. In the same way, Jesus said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that the reason is everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So the last thing i got to show in my faith is this, number three. I need to show a pointing faith. I need to show a pointing faith. That, friends, our faith, my faith, is not meant to show other people how great I am. My faith is meant to show other people how great our God is. Like, what if we, just the Christians at Element Church, which, by the way, we aren't the only Christian church in town. We understand that, right? Like, there's other great churches in our town. I'm so thankful for the past 11 years, the partnership we've had with other churches in our town and now around our state. Like, Cheyenne needs churches because it takes different churches to reach different kinds of people. Amen? So we're not the only Christians in town or the only Christian church. There's great churches, and I love that they are, are there. But what if? Okay, we're only responsible for us. So what if just the Christians from Element Church began to live our lives in such a way that it actually made people curious? It made them interested in where that kind of faith comes from. What if they saw in us something so different that they actually asked, where do you get your faith? Weird transition here. Hang with me. Somebody shared this illustration. A friend of mine was using this as an illustration in a a conversation. I thought it was too good not to share. Have you ever ate something? I'm going to make you hungry. It's almost lunchtime, so hang with me. Have you ever ate something so good you had to know the recipe for it? Ever done that before? The answer is yes. All of us have done that, okay? Now, Now, let's say you had never had that thing before. You've never eaten it. And before, though, you ever ate it, the person who made it gave you the recipe. It's like, hey, check out the recipe for my favorite dish. You'd be like, okay, who cares? It's a recipe. Like, I've rarely known people that were given a recipe that led to them wanting a dish. But I've known lots of people who had a dish that led them to want to know the recipe. And the same is true with our faith, church. Like, people won't care where our faith comes from unless they see in us a convincing kind of faith. They won't care to know the God behind my faith unless they see a faith in me that shows there must be a God. Am I living that kind of faith? Am I living my life in such a way that there has to be a God behind it? 
that it's so different, it's so changed, it stands out so much, there must be a God behind that faith. Peter, later on in his letter, continues kind of this same thought. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. There's the lordship. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. There's the public part of our faith. Someone asks about it. But do this, talk about your faith, in a gentle and respectful way. Some of us could learn from that. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. I want to, with my life, I want to offer a dish that's so appealing People have to know the recipe. We're great as Christians at trying to share the recipe, 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 recipe. But people won't care unless we have a delicious dish to go with it. So how's your dish? <laughs> what kind of faith are you showing? If you would, bow your heads and just pause for a moment of reflection. Ask yourself, ask the Lord, Am I showing the kind of faith Peter talked about? Am I showing a protected faith, putting boundaries and guardrails in my life to keep me from worldly desires that wage war against my soul? Am I living a public faith? Do people even know I'm a Christian? Could they know by how I live even? Not just what I say. Do I have a pointing faith? Am I pointing people to God by the way I live. Lord, I don't know anybody's spiritual condition but my own. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in the room right now, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would begin to convict and comfort and challenge and conform us into the image of your Son. Lord, there's people in this room who they know they have not been living a protected faith. They're trying to be as much like the world as they can while still being in you. Lord, I pray you'd move them towards your holiness. Lord, may we live protected in this world. Lord, I know that for some of us, we're struggling to live a public faith. We, we've made a private decision, but we're not living it publicly. Lord, I pray that we would begin to be more bold, not just with our words as part of it, but with our actions as well. Lord, that people would see a difference in us. And Lord, when they see that, I pray we'd point them to you. That you, Jesus, are the recipe to our faith. I pray that the dish of life we offer would be so appealing that folks would have to know what's behind it. God, thank you. Thank you. Lord, you are not an angry God. You are kind and loving and caring and compassionate. And Lord, even in your conviction, you are showing us your love because you're drawing us unto yourself. So thanks, God, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're here and you, you might say, that I, I, all, all that you said, Jeff's good, and I even agree with it, but I've not even started my faith yet. I can't show anything because I've not started it. I would say then you need to. <laughs> like today could be the day. And I was, I was planning on giving a full-on salvation response to, to lead people into 
you know, putting their faith in Christ, that Jesus died in our place, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and by faith in him, we can have our sins forgiven and be filled with life as we live on this earth and live forever with him in heaven. That is true. That's the gospel. And for some of you, that might be what you need today. But I, I wanted to let this message sit. After I preached it, I didn't give an invitation in first service. I'm not giving one in this service. If you want to talk to somebody about what that means, find me in the lobby, find a volunteer, staff member, prayer team member in the back. We'll talk to you about it. But the reason I just kind of felt led to, to let it sit is I want you to be fully aware of the cost of following Jesus. Like salvation's free. It's already been paid for. Following him costs everything. And if you're not willing to, to let go of some things in your life, I don't want you to make that decision yet. So I'm going to let this sit and know that your sins have been paid for and by faith in Christ they will be forgiven. But after that, there's some cost that comes along. Is there not? There's some cost to following Jesus. It's not free to follow. <laughs> he calls us to extreme discipleship. And so I'm just going to let this one sit today. And if you want to talk about it, have questions, please, please, please uh, let me know. Uh, I have a very cool announcement to share with you when I'm done here. And so a little different closing than normal. So hang with me. Let me pray for you. And then I'll move on. Lord, thanks. Lord, thank you that you're not, you don't hide. You don't hide truth. That yes, you, through Jesus God, have paid the price for our sins. But by faith in you, not only are we, are we forgiven, but we, we are then filled to follow you. So Lord, help us follow you with a protected faith, a public faith, and a pointing faith to you, God. I'm so thankful that you give us the power to live for you. God, we love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. As usual... If you are new, when we're done, we'd love to see you in the living room. That would be fantastic. Uh, if you need prayer for something going on in your life, we've got a prayer team in the very back of the room. They'll stay as long as we need for, for you to be prayed for, for whatever needs going on in your life. But today, uh, we are, are doing something cool here. Um, Eleven years ago today, we started Element Church, and the confirming verse that God gave me to confirm in my heart that yes, indeed, he was calling us to start a church in Cheyenne was from Isaiah 43, where God said to his people, I'm about to do a brand new thing. And that verse has been, it's been for us every step of the way. We've always seen new thing, new thing, new thing that God is doing. Even the launch of a fourth service, God's doing a new thing. But another new thing we are revealing today, that as most of you know, we were able to uh, purchase an incredible giant indoor playground. It is right over next door to our, our main entrance doors over there. We are offering free to our community a playground called Play City. It is open to anyone and everyone once it is open. Lord willing, next Monday, October 15th, it will be open. We're going to start it with some limited hours and kind of get used to how it works. But it is literally just free for the community to use. We paid for that sucker with cash. We owe nothing on it. We didn't come to you and ask for more money because you are so generous. We had the money sitting there and just did it and told you about it later, which is fantastic, by the way. Fantastic. So, all that to say, we are having an open house over there today. It is open for you to go see it. The playground itself is locked, and you can't get on it. So, 
You decide whether or not to take your kids over there. I'm not responsible for any tantrum that's thrown for not allowing them on the playground. Next Monday, it will be available. But listen, one of the reasons we're doing this is kind of from this message. It's just a good deed. Our community needs it. For 11 years, I've said we need a place for parents to bring their kids in the winter when it's so stinking cold outside to play. And now we have it, and the city didn't provide for it. A business did not provide for it. God's people provided it for the community. It's awesome. So that's it. After you get your kids or before, if you want to uh, go over to Play City, check it out. I love you guys. New times, new series next week. You're dismissed.